What's up, independent agents? Are you driving your clients off to the carrier self-servicing platforms after the sale just to minimize your service demand? Stop doing that with the premier mobile and web agency solution, Glovebox. Now you can keep your clients in front of your agency at all times, all while delivering the carrier self-service experience that will minimize your service costs and absolutely wow your customers. On top of that, Glovebox will help you increase your cross-sales, referrals, and overall retention with an easy-to-use policyholder interface. Trust me, guys, we're using this at Portal Insurance, and this is literally happening. We are selling policies and servicing policies through our app. Schedule your demo with Glovebox today, and be sure to mention the Insurance Guys podcast for 20% off of your subscription for the life of your account. Guys, it's so cool that I can tell my clients, download the Portal app. Thanks, Glovebox. Insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for I Protect Insurance and Financial Services based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Sarah Land, Alabama, parade first team All-American, rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and a great American. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? Great, Scott. How are you today? Best I have ever been. Bradley, before we get started on the podcast today, I've got to get something off my chest. Okay. Uh, Very occasionally, I watch a Netflix movie from time to time, and every single netflix movie that i watch guys i'm about to give you guys the best piece of advice i have ever given you i'm going to do away with all netflix movies prime movies first 48 here's my advice to every one of you if you ever have a police officer or a detective come to your place of business or your house and say these words we would like for you to go come downtown with us and answer a few questions here is what i want you to do ladies and gentlemen please never forget this you look at them you politely say i would really like to do that and i'll be happy to do that but i will be unable to do that until i get in touch with my lawyer and have him meet us downtown at the interview room that's all i want you to say bradley every single netflix movie i watch the police knock on the front door and they go, Hey, uh, we need you to come downtown. We need to, we need you to answer some questions for us. And every single time the dumbass gets in the car with them, goes to the interview room and sits there without an attorney and just blah, 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 blah. Why is that? Why do people do that? Same with the first 48. Yep. My wife will tell you, I cannot watch the first 48. And that is a, that is real stuff there, right? That is real people sitting in an interview room without an attorney getting interviewed. And I'm like, people, you are about to go to jail right now. See, I'm more of a dateline kind of guy. Same thing. Same thing. I like, I like dateline. I'm not a first 48. I'm, I want to see after the fact where they put all the cinematic effects to the actual story. Right. And it, it's that much better when there's one from Alabama, you know, but well, uh, it's always life insurance. Has anybody ever noticed that? It's always like he killed her for the hundred thousand dollars in life insurance. It's like, that's really not kind of worth it to be honest. Exactly. Guys, listen to me. If it's not that bad of an offense, get your family attorney to meet you down there. 
to get interviewed. Okay. Do not. Or, sorry. Go ahead. If it's, if it's a, not that big a deal thing, get your family attorney, have him meet you down there. He sits in the interview room with you. You talk before you talk to the detectives or the investigators. If it is a capital murder offense, if it is something vehicular homicide, if it's something to do like that, you need to go out and find the very best uh, criminal defense attorney that you can and do not walk into that interview room until he's sitting in there with you. No representation is made that the quality of legal services are that or greater than the quality of legal legal services you would get elsewhere from Scott Owl. Bradley, that's Um, pretty good. That's pretty good. I like that. (laughs) So this week's Making the Donuts uh, we are going to swap up the intro and do a law and order intro. Yeah. And it's going to start by saying, um, I've got a guy that's a voiceover actor. It's going to record it. And it's going to say in the insurance risk management world, poor customer service has become the standard <laughs> to combat this awful problem. Our members of elite squad known as team portal insurance. These are their uh, stories. Bradley, by the way, half of the first 48 episodes have been filmed in mobile, by the way. I don't know if you know that or not. I- I'm not a fan of that oh, show, sir. but I have, I did know, I did know there was a bunch, but, uh, so not too far from where I am, probably. Uh, so what's funny about the 48 hours deal is, you know, they're trying to build this case and tell this story that the husband killed her. Right. And they always bring the life insurance into it. And it's always like just bought way too much life insurance and what they should have. And it's like $250,000. Right. <laughs> no one should have that much life insurance. And meanwhile, the insurance agents are over there wigging out like, oh, my God, if I wrote a $250,000 policy on someone today, no matter who they are. They don't have enough life insurance. Correct. Right? So that's what always cracks me up is it's like they're trying to build this case. Like this is some ridiculous amount of money when they don't take into account the fact that if he did kill her for the $250,000, A, that's not enough money to kill somebody for it, And B, that's definitely not enough money to live the rest of your life. If I'm killing somebody, it's enough money that I can live the rest of my life. Like, like the, the guy that has the pet giraffes, right? <laughs> So anyway, insurance agents from around the world, Bradley's getting ready to receive his next hurricane next week. It is affecting his internet uh, today. I'm sure that the internet signals are uh, getting overloaded from information being poured out for the next tropical storm or hurricane that is headed for him. I apologize if he sounds a little choppy today. Am I choppy? Little, little choppy. Well, if we're, if we're recording on my end, I'm probably not actually choppy on the recording. So awesome. Awesome. So, so guys, we have got a very important podcast today. The last two episodes of the Insurance Guys podcast that you have probably heard, depending on the order of how they came out, were how to sell personal lines insurance. We're getting very granular. As I said on those episodes, the late, great Jerry Clower once said, the speech making's over. Now it's time to talk about real shit on how to do stuff. Bradley has got a guy on here today. If you are in commercial insurance, if you're a commercial producer, this guy is one of the best in the industry. He sells a shitload of commercial insurance. He can help you. Without further ado, I want to give him the introduction that he has always deserved. And then we are going to get we're going to get right with the Lord today on talking about how to sell commercial insurance. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, he is originally from Tampa, Florida, and he currently resides in Lando Lakes, Florida. He is married to the beautiful Elise, and they have one extremely handsome son named Nash. 
He received his bachelor's degree in business management from the University of South Florida, and he currently serves as a risk advisor for Florida Risk Partners, where he averages, averages ten dollars to $20,000 per month in new business revenue. Remember, guys, we want to talk about revenue, not premium. I just said the word revenue. So you can back into that. Widely known as one of the best cold call marketing droppers in the industry. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you first time guest on the IGP. And I promise you it will not be his last. Ladies and gentlemen, I give to you Mr. Kyle Houck. How are you, Kyle? I am doing great, Scott. Thank you for the fantastic introduction. I feel like we need to have the Bulls 90s music in the background going. I love it. Bradley, thanks for having me on. I'm excited and and humbled to be here, guys. Man, listen, we got to get the hay down where the goats can get to it today, guys. We got to start with a start and end with an end. Let's back up for just a minute because I want these guys to all know kind of your background. Now, the reason I want to do this, Kyle, is I think there's a lot of – agency owners out there that are looking to hire rock stars as commercial agents in their office. You are an example of those rock stars that are out there and what I know to be the truth as to who to hire and who not to hire. And before we get started on how to sell commercial insurance, tell us your background Because it's like I always tell people, everything that happened up until now affects the insurance agent that you are today. So talk to our our principal agents out there about where you came from to help them kind of understand the kind of people they need to be hiring. Definitely. So um, like you mentioned, I went to school at USF here in Tampa, studied business because I didn't really know what I wanted to do and figured that's a good fallback. You can do a lot of things with that, right? So Um, I was still in school. I got hired by a company that did direct B2B sales for office supplies. We represented a subsidiary of Staples. That company was called Quill. They didn't have any, um, you know, retail stores that you could walk into. So, you know, we we were selling for them and I was was going B2B, walking into a bunch of businesses that I had never been into on a daily basis, anywhere between whatever, 20 and, and 40 or 50, depending on how the day was going. Uh, and, and trying to you know win them over and build rapport with them and ultimately get them to buy office supplies through me and through Quill versus them going to the store to you know Office Depot or, or, or wherever. Um, so I did that for an extraordinarily long time for that um, field, man. I was I was there for about five and a half years, you know, having no real prior sales experience. I had little jobs before that, but nothing. That that was where I cut my teeth, um, and so I've applied. A lot of the things that I learned, um, you know, from my time there to stuff that I do today. And then, so I, I got promoted to assistant manager there probably two to three years after I had started. And so my role changed a little bit. I was running a lot of meetings, training a lot, you know, interviewing people and all still doing that while going into these businesses. So that's something that I'm sure we'll get into as the show progresses on. But after a while, the progression just kind of stopped and um, I wasn't really getting, you know, to the level where I wanted to be, which was running my own gig. And it, it, it was time for a change. So I got hooked up with a PEO, which, you know, professional employer organization for those that 
that don't know. And, you know, that's kind of a, it's a totally different thing. You know, I wasn't selling something that was a commodity like the office supplies. I was selling more of a service um, and, and selling them something strategic. So, you know, that is the payroll, the HR, the employee benefits, the workers comp all tied into one. I got hooked up with them and was there for a couple of years and there was a merger. We got bought out or there was an acquisition and my position was eliminated. And, and while I was there, David Carruthers was actually, um, he had just started up Florida Risk Partners and he, I got introduced to him through one of our, our guys that was like head of channel development at, at the PEO I was at. And so David and I met and we had lunch and we ended up setting up a, a day where he and I went out on cold call marketing drops, which was fascinating because I'd never done that with anybody else besides like myself and selling the office supply. So it was cool to get a little bit of a different perspective from a totally different industry. And, um, you know, we met like one or two times after that. Like, I mean, he, there wasn't really a ton of business that he and I did together while I was at the PEO. But I do remember we met for lunch one day at the always fantastic Cheesecake Factory. And this guy, dude, he, he, he's sitting there talking and I noticed he's got two smartwatches on, like two fits. I'm like, I'm like, dude, hang on a second. And I met, I've met him like once or twice before this. I'm like, this is I'm David. Like, yes. I'm like, dude, are you wearing two smartwatches right now? Like what, what could possibly make somebody have the need to do that? And so I think that's what really got him, uh, you know, on board with me. And, you know, then we did the marketing drops after that. And, um, you know, so I I, I ended up, what was the logic behind the two smartwatches? Dude, so to this day, I'll never know. And and I I don't know if he's ever told me, I think, I think one of them was a Fitbit and one of them was his, uh, you know, his Apple watch or something like that. But it was just, it was completely ridiculous and totally a David Carruthers move for anybody that knows him. I know Paradiso does an Apple Watch, I think, on his right hand and a yes. usually usually very nice watch on his left hand. And I asked yes. him, I said, why do you have two watches? Says, That's work. That's jewelry, kid. <laughs> David actually brought that up the other day because somehow this came up again. But um, I figured that was a little bit of a funny story. But One thing and- I've always noticed about David's smartwatch, though, is it's 100% on brand. The band Blue is gold. Florida, Florida Risk Partners Colors. No accident there. Yeah. So, so we kind of kept in contact. And then when I was, um, you know, when, when I was no longer with the PEO, he reached out and was like, Hey, I heard about what happened. You know, we should talk. I'm looking to bring on a producer. You've got a lot of the qualities that I look for. You know, I don't typically like to hire people from the insurance industry rather to come work in my agency. And I think that it would be good for us to meet and kind of discuss what that might look like. And so we did. And here I am. So Kyle, let's, let's get to the, let's get to the meat and potatoes of this. Sure. So the one thing that I've learned from talking to both you and David Mm-hmm. about you and I this goes into really I feel like first things first when you were at Quill for five and a half years yep. you became institutionalized and what I mean by that correct me if I'm wrong you were expected to make how many cold calls per day with Quill for five exactly and a, five and a half yep. years guys for yep. five and a half years Yep. So it was very based on, you know, what we call law of averages or law of you know, numbers or whatever. Like there was a formula that, you know, was proven to work over, you know, every, every office throughout the country. There was I don't know, something like 60 of them. But yeah, I mean, it was if, if you went out and saw 50 businesses, you were going to meet with six decision makers. And of those six decision makers, you were going to you know be able to close two deals. And so you were looking to close two deals a day. And, and that was kind of the, the bar that was set. And, and, you know, eventually as your skill sets developed, you didn't have to see 50 businesses to close two deals, obviously, you know, right. but that was what was ingrained into us. And, and, you know, that's what I tell a lot of new people um, that I've spoken with in this industry is you kind of got to make up in numbers what you lack 
in skill initially, because eventually you'll get the technical knowledge of insurance, which I still don't even have. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to get my CIC right now just so I can have a better understanding of technical insurance stuff. So I still don't even have all that knowledge. But what I do have is the ability to go out and work my butt off and get in front of people and just have conversations. Okay. So for these agents that don't know what this is, and I asked you this before we got on the podcast, because I didn't know what this was. Mm-hmm. Explain to them the 250,000 agents that are listening, a lot of whom are commercial insurance agents. What is a cold call marketing drop? What exactly is that? Yeah, what I mean by that is just I'm walking into a business that I've never been into before. I may have done some research. I should have done some research. Like to have an effective marketing drop, you need to do research on the front end. That's like the first thing, right? You know, in Florida for us, we have uh, the workers' comp stuff is what we lead with because the information is public domain. I can get their carrier, their X date, and all that before I walk in. So I have a little bit of ammo when I go in to have that conversation. But all I'm looking to do is go in, introduce myself to the gatekeeper, and ultimately find out who the decision maker is. And if I'm able to talk to him right then and there, then great. But I'm not looking to have a meeting with them right there. In fact, if that does happen, there's probably something wrong. Like they right. probably got some sort of issues with their with their current program or whatever. And, and that's a little bit of a red flag. But I'm just looking to get the info of, of who to speak with so that I can set up a time to actually have that first appointment. And l- let me be clear on something. I want to make sure we understand this because, again, we're getting very granular. Now that you're in the insurance industry and you've been very successful and you've got some time and distance away from Quill, Mm-hmm. Is it still better for all of these agents out there to get in their vehicle and go to a business, meet face to face, kneecap to kneecap with a gatekeeper that way? Or is it now better to use the phone first? to call first, which which one of those two do you find more success with? So for me, it's it's the it's the first thing, you know, is is going out and meet with them in person. That's just what I learned how to do initially when I in my sales career. So that's what I'm most comfortable with. But I think that COVID has presented a little bit of change in in how those like, you know, there may not be people sitting in the office anymore. You know, the the decision makers or gatekeepers, they could just be completely remote 100% now. So that throws a little bit of of a wrench in everything. But for me, it's definitely going out and meeting with them because think about it. Like, so if I go in and I talk to a gatekeeper, right? And I get the information of who I need to speak with. When I call back, I've already got a rapport built with that gatekeeper. I could be like, hey, you know, hey, Bob, or hey, Susie, uh, you know, it, it's Kyle with Florida Risk. I had stopped by last week in the office trying to get in touch with so and so that handles the workers' comp, and they were just out, and I wanted to follow up with you um, and, and touch base with them and, and, and whatever, like whatever your pitch is, you can get into it from there. But you've already built that rapport with them and you've done it in person. So they can put a face to a name. It's much harder to turn somebody down when they can do that versus just, you know, not ever have met them, you know? So guys, I don't want you to miss what he just said because he kind of blew past it just a few minutes ago. Rule number one, Kyle Houck's rule number one. Before he calls, gets in his vehicle and goes to a business, he is looking at their website. He's finding out all the public information he can about them. He is doing that same research that anybody should be doing prior to calling on a business. Number one, Kyle, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't want to put words in your mouth. Is this business a good fit for what we're Mm -hmm. looking to do, Mm -hmm. right? Is this our stuff? And on that note, my opinion is that nothing... Me as a business owner, nothing pisses me off more than when someone cold calls me and I can tell they did not do one ounce of research at all. 
it's a waste of time, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, why are you wasting yeah. my time? Exactly. I had someone call. I was actually going to tell the story before we got on the air, but it'll be fine on the air. I just recently signed up with a new payroll company and I was talking to the guy that signed me up. Um, this is for portal. I was talking to the guy that signed me up about me sending them some of my clients, them send me some of theirs. I send them some of theirs. Secretly, I'm trying to do the whole David Carruthers recruiting kind of thing, right? But he's like, yeah, gung-ho, whatever. And this is a national firm and I should have known better. And then about two weeks later, I get a call from another guy from the same payroll company wanting to welcome me on board and also wanting to take care of my workers' comp. And I'm like, I didn't say this, but I'm like, did you, did you not see that you were calling an insurance company? Like you, you might should have asked, do we do workers comp first? Right. And I would have said yes. And then you could have taken the conversation in a whole different direction. But I, I did say this. I said, this is a really good way to ensure that I don't send any of my clients to you guys. So, right. so Kyle, COVID hits law of large numbers. Florida Risk Partners has the sensibility to understand that Kyle getting in his vehicle and driving to 10, 15 businesses a day, however many, depending on traffic, depending on the size of the city you live in, is not as efficient as you could be if you had someone on the mm-hmm. phone, banging the phone, making appointments for you. Because remember, guys, the telephone is the greatest sales tool ever devised in the history of mankind. So at some point, you and David put your head together and you said, what if we had a virtual assistant that was calling the types of businesses that we want to reach out to, setting appointments for Kyle. So instead of Kyle driving all over the city, oh, let's go over here and over there. He's setting those appointments for you. And now you've got this list of businesses that have shown interest after I guess you call them back. Tell us about that process with the VA. Tell us the good, the bad, the ugly about that. Yeah, it's been interesting. It's been a learning process, I think, for all parties involved. But overall, it's been good because, you know, he's been able to step in and this guy, Marvin, that we've got that's our VA, he doesn't have any insurance background or knowledge and he doesn't need to. We just need him to call places that we're trying to get in and and try to set an appointment for us. That is all, right? So the way that that works is we dump in all of our info from the workers' comp database and he's calling stuff that renews two, three months out, whatever. I comb through that list. I was telling Bradley before you got on and when we were chatting before I comb through that list and I'm going to pick out any of the, like the, the big middle market stuff that, you know, I want to do a lot of research on and, and go in and, and, and talk to them in person and all that. But, you know, anything that kind of fits in our target market, if you will, like the service contractors, the plumbers, HVAC, whatever, electricians will comb through that data, send it over to him and he's calling on those people. So, um, you know, we have all those calls recorded in, in HubSpot and I can listen to them. So, I go in and, and, you know, there was, he started off really hot, right? Like he was setting appointments and, you know, some of them either weren't answering or, you know, maybe it just wasn't super productive. So I went back and I, I and, and then there was a period where they, it just kind of dropped off. So I was, I was like, okay, something's happening here. I need to go in. So I listened to some of the calls and I picked out a few things. I'm like, boom, all right, you know, we need to have a call to go over some of these things to help him get back on track. Okay. And, let's stop. Um, let's stop right there. Let's stop. Mm-hmm. Like, I told you, we're going to get very, very granular here. We're going to yeah. get down to the lowest common denominator. Sure. First question, does Marvin speak perfect English or does he have 
an accent at all. It's a slight accent. I mean, like he speaks pretty good English. Like you can tell that he's not, I guess, from the States, but it's not bad English. It's a little bit slow and can be choppy, which is, you know, part of the problem that, you know, that we addressed, you know, and just some, some ways that he could, uh, I guess, kind of improve on the conversation that he's having, you know, you know, with that, but it's not, he doesn't have a terrible accent by any stretch. Okay. Question number two, you said you went in and you listened to some of the calls. Mm-hmm. A few things you heard were kind of, I don't want to say cringeworthy, but things that you immediately yeah. were like. Well, it was, yeah. Dude, dude we got to switch this. We got. We can't do this. What, what right. were a couple of those things? He was leaving some awkward pauses and he was asking a lot of questions. So when he could have taken control of the conversation and really got to the direction of setting the appointment, he was kind of pausing and just leaving, leaving things open. And what I mean by that is he would say, you know, things to the effect of like, if, if the person wasn't there, he would say, okay, well, um, do you know when they might be back? So there's a couple problems there. I mean, there's, there's doubt words in there. It's like, do you know when he might be back or so you're giving complete control to that gatekeeper and, and their job in the first place is to keep you away from the decision maker. Right. So that just makes it way easier for them. So it's like, okay, so the first, the first thing that we need to do is be a little bit more direct and kind of tell them versus ask, you know, and, and what I mean by that is saying things like, okay, if the gatekeeper saying that decision maker, Bob or whoever is, is not in, I'm going to say something like, okay, yeah, I totally understand, you know, he's going to be back in tomorrow, right? So like, that's a yes or no answer for that gatekeeper. If they're going to be in tomorrow, they're going to say, yeah, I'm like, okay, great. And then mornings are better than afternoons, right? And they either are, or they aren't. If it's morning's better than great, I'll call them in the morning. If, if it's, if they say, no, he's, he's a slow, you know, to get in and afternoon after lunch is probably better. Well, okay, great. Now I have the time to call this guy. I'm going to say, thank you, you know, gatekeeper. I really appreciate your time. I'll give him a call back or her a call back in the afternoon tomorrow. Okay. Done. Right. So, so that was the first thing. So let me make sure I understand that. Mm-hmm. Instead of asking, are mornings better than afternoons? He's basically telling the gatekeeper, mornings are better than afternoons, correct? Exactly. Mornings are better than afternoons. Think about it, dude. Like if somebody calls you and is is asking you like, you know, when's a better time for for them to come by and talk to you? If they say that, you're going to be like, I don't know, man, I'm really busy. You you know, I I don't have time for this. Like it leaves the door open for you to give them an objection. Right. You know? So as we talked about guys in personal selling, personal line selling, we've got to be confident when we're making these appointments in commercial sales. We've got to be confident. We've got to word track this thing so that we stay in control of the conversation. Correct, Kyle? Absolutely. So we can't be asking a bunch of questions and, and, and letting them take the control of the conversation because what's going to end up happening is they're going to hang up on you or tell you he's busy and he can't talk to you or whatever he says. Right. So we've kept in control of the conversation. We've had we've trained our VA to ask the right questions. You're mm-hmm. constantly listening to those calls to make sure that he is saying things with a, with the exact tonality and posture that you need him to say them mm-hmm. and their exact verbiage that he needs. So let's say he sets an appointment. Yeah. And what happens next? In terms of if he's the quarterback, he's handed the Mm -hmm. ball off to you and you're the running back that's looking to run this thing in the end zone. Yep. So tell me what happens next. Research, man. I'm going to go and do research on the company. I want to find out, you know, who they're currently, like I mentioned, we lead with workers comp, right? So I'm going to, I'm going to go in, I'm going to find out who their carrier is, you know, and I can determine a few things from that. Like in in Florida, uh, it's pretty straightforward with the workers comp, the rates are state mandated. 
and, and there's a, it seems to be a lot of people that are with payroll companies, but what doesn't happen on a lot of those policies is almost never is there a dividend on there, which is an easy conversation to me, you know, for me to have. And there's certain carriers that don't offer dividends. So when I see those carriers on the policy, I'm like, okay, cool. I know this is going to be one of the talking points that we're going to, that we're going to discuss. They probably have never even heard that there's a dividend option, right? And a lot of times there's no credits put on those. So I'm going to do my research. I'm going to find out, you know, the, the basic facts. And then, you know, when, when I go in, so this is a, a distinction that I do want to point out is while on the phone trying to set those appointments, and we're telling them versus asking and kind of asking those closed-ended questions. When we're in person and doing that first meeting or second meeting or whatever, I'm asking open-ended questions. I want to get with the decision maker and, and, and let them do most of the talking and me listen and pick up on things that are important to them. Like that's not the time for closed-ended questions and trying to strong our people. That's, you know, that's the time for you to listen so that you can figure out how to close these people. So Kyle, let me ask you this question. When mm-hmm. he sets that appointment, when Marvin sets that appointment for you, is that typically an in-person appointment or is that a you're calling or you to the, the yeah. prospect knows you're about to call them at three <laughs> o'clock on Thursday? The latter. It's been recently since, you know, since COVID for sure. I'd like to get back to the, to the point where we're meeting in person. Cause that's just, I'm kind of old school, man. Like I'm not an old dude. I'm 33. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm more new school than anything, but my, I've got like an old school mentality. I like meeting with people and shaking their hand and, and can pick up on body language. You can pick up on all these other nonverbal cues that you can't really do on the phone. Like uh, right now it's been more of, of on the phone, but um, you know, there will be a time here before too long where we're having them set them for us and we're coming out and meeting with them in, in person. Okay. So what we're going to do now is we're going to role play. Okay. Bradley, get ready. We're going to role play. You ready to role play? My internet's choppy, but we can do it. Okay. Here's what we're going to do. Uh, no, it's just going to be Kyle and I, we're going to role play. <laughs> okay. So first Kyle, you and I have an appointment right now right now we have an appointment you are going to call me i am the guy that handles insurance for a mid to large size plumbing contracting firm okay and we've got you know 100 employees pretty good little workers comp policy here guys they are leading they are creating the wedge with workers comp And you just heard Kyle say it a minute ago, the reason they are creating the wedge with workers' comp, a lot of that information off of their workers' comp policy and their mod factors, public information that they can see. And once they see that there is a potential for them to save this company a bunch of money in workers' comp, they're going to go in and create the, the wedge and talk about things that they understand backwards and forwards related to workers' comp. Am I right, Kyle? Am I correct about that? Okay. So I'm the guy that handles insurance for this 100-person plumbing company out of Tampa, Florida. And you're going to call me. I've told Marvin, your VA, that I would like to set an appointment for 3 o'clock today. It's 3 o'clock. First, I'm going to be the gatekeeper. So you are calling me at my scheduled appointment time. Ring, ring, ring. What are you going to say to me as the gatekeeper? Hey, good afternoon. This is Kyle Hop with Florida Risk Partners, giving Scott a call for our three o'clock appointment to talk about the workers' comp renewal. Oh, okay. Does uh, Scott know that you're going to be, does he know that you're calling? Yeah, absolutely. He's got a calendar invite for three o'clock today. Okay, great. 
And let's stop right there. Is that what you mm-hmm. normally hear? Is yeah, that, I mean, that- right. Yeah, I mean, to some extent, and, and a lot of times they just transfer you right over. But again, like you just mentioned it a few minutes ago, like confidence is key. You've got to act like you're supposed to be there. And and that's something that uh, stuck with me early on from my days doing the the office supplies is you got to walk in like you're supposed to be there. You've got to you've got to command that presence like like you're supposed to be there. So that's that's how I handle that situation if that's the case. But a lot of times they just transfer you right over if you tell them okay. you've got an appointment already. It's the same you. thing you do when you have to go into a dangerous neighborhood to do a property inspection. You just act right. like you're supposed to be there and everything else works out. Right, right, exactly. Bradley, that's a great point. Well, I was so, telling Kenneth yesterday when I was at Alpha, we had to take pictures of every single house we wrote. And he was like, man, what if you did one that you're in kind of a sketchy area? I said, you just act like you're supposed to be there, dude. Everything yeah, works out. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. Okay, Kyle. Now, uh, you've gotten through the gatekeeper, or maybe you had Scott's direct number. So you've just right. called me, the, phone's run, the phone rang, and Scott has answered the phone. Hey, this is Scott Howell. How can I help you? Hey, Scott. Kyle Howell with Florida Risk Partners. How are you? Hey, Kyle. I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, not too bad. Marvin, my scheduling assistant, had set up a time. He spoke with you last week for us to talk about your upcoming workers' comp renewal here at the beginning of October. I just wanted to make sure now was a, what, now was a good time. Shouldn't take too long. Yeah. Yeah, I've got just a few minutes. I've got another meeting I've got to get into in about 15 minutes. You know, what exactly can you guys do for us? I'm assuming that's kind of what you hear from yeah, something to that effect. And and again, like, you know, a lot of times it's it's a carrier specific conversation. And I'm going to, you know, key it towards the dividend or to their mod. If, if they got a bad mod, we're going to go that route. Yeah. So, you know, let's let, let's start with that. So I, I would say something to the effect of, well, you know, the reason I'm reaching out is is for your upcoming policy period, your experience mod is going up 30 points. You know, you're going to be paying an additional 30% on your workers' comp premium. So I just wanted to reach out to, you know, to see what controls you guys have put in place, what you've talked about with your current agent to get your mod back to a reasonable level? Well, my understanding was from talking to them that our mod factor was was pretty good. Mm-hmm. We have been getting a little bit of a you know dividend back each year. So are you saying it's not? Yeah. So your, your mod is going up from a 1.2 to a 1.5. So mm. what good would be considered for your industry is a 1.0. So the way that they determine that and, you know, I, I don't know that I need to get all into the mod calculation sure. and everything right now, but, sure. you know, the, uh, you, you know, they match up your claims with what they'd expect you to have versus, you know, what's average for your industry. If you were, if you were good or average, you'd be at a 1.0. So they take your, your payroll, they multiply it by the rate for your class code that generates your premium. And then they multiply it by your mod factor, which if it, you know, was 1.0, you'd be paying the state rates. If you're good or better than average, you're going to be below one, mm-hmm. right? So like, if you're better than average, let's say you're at a 0.8, that means you're paying 20% less than your peer group for your workers' comp premium. Now, conversely, if you're performing you know, lower than average or poorly, you're going to be above one where you're paying an additional premium. As I mentioned, you're going up from a 1.2, which is already 20% higher than, than the average for your industry to a 1.5. So that's 50% higher than your peer group. I, I I just, I'm, I'm trying to figure out you know, what's, what's going on or why your agent thinks that that's, that's good. Right. So, so let's stop right there. You are basically creating the wedge between the insured, your prospect and their current agency that's out there that's representing them. Mm -hmm. And that can be done in a number of different ways through workers comp, because there's a lot of wedges there that you can get to, whether they're not getting the, the right dividend that they thought they should be getting or that they did get, or whether, Mod factors too high. They haven't heard from their agency. 
some something to that effect is is creating that wedge, and then you're continuing that conversation with them. Correct. So, what would you do as a commercial insurance agent if they aren't leading with workers' comp to create a wedge? Let's say you are one of the many because because you guys have figured that out and. Y'all, yeah. that, that's just how you do business down there is through right. workers' compensation. But there's a lot of commercial agents listening to this right now that aren't leading with workers' comp. What? Sure. what how, how, how should they create that wedge when they make that phone call? Definitely. Uh, one of the other big wedges that you can use that's not specific to workers' comp is the audit, right? Like, you know, the audit is something that happens on, on every policy, right? And, and, you know, you can use that on your general liability. But that, that's an easy way to create a wedge. And that's something where you ask one of those open-ended questions that I was talking about that you just simply ask them, you know, how, how was your audit for last policy period? Tell me a little bit about that process. Right. There's hardly ever any insurer that is like, oh, my audit was awesome, dude. Thank you for asking. It went so smooth and we right. had a great time. Like there's always some, there's always some sort of issue that immediately causes them to, you know, start offering up information about things that didn't go great. Correct. Yeah. The insureds that I have that get audited, because as you know, certain class codes get audited every year, right? I mean, that, you know, if you're, I'm trying to think of one of them right now, but uh, contractors, uh, a lot of, a lot of contractor type businesses, every year you're getting an audit. And so a lot of times, let's say the, the insurance agent forgot to get with them mid year, and they were projected to do 2.5 million in sales and they did 5 million. So now at audit time, they get back from the insurance carrier that they owe double the premium or whatever it is mm-hmm. above and beyond what they've already paid. And so they're pissed. Absolutely. Why didn't you, why didn't you call me? Why didn't you ask? Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually, I'm glad you brought that up. Cause that's one of the conversations that I have with a lot of our you know, businesses that we're just bringing on or, or that we're, you know, trying to, that are maybe new in business that don't really have a, um, a good understanding of how, how that process works. And, and I'm asking them for their exposure. Well, it's really hard to say, you know, I don't really, it's first year in business or whatever. I'm like, okay, well, you know, here's the deal. Here's how the policy is going to be rated and what the implications are. Like, you know, I need to get a good estimation of what the exposure is going to look like from a sales perspective of, you know, sales revenue annually or from payrolls. Those are the two main things that the policy is going to be rated off of. And what we're going to do is we're going to follow up after Q1 with you to see if we're still on track with that, because Uh, if we are great, but if we're not, then we need to change that so that at the end of the year, like you just explained, you're not getting slapped with a, with a huge bill or conversely, you know, that you're, not overpaying and giving them an interest-free loan over the course of the year to the carrier. So that is probably the best piece of advice I have ever heard because I have clients right now that I know for a fact have shopped us in the past based on them. Some bitches just don't like doing an audit and they're like, mm-hmm. Scott, I, if you've got some company that won't make me do an audit at the end of every year, I'll, I'll you can put me with them. So I could see where another agent could call them and say, hey, tell me about these audits that you're having to do for your insurance carrier. And the first mm-hmm. thing they're going to do is say, oh, my gosh, I hate audits. Right. And, and that's just going to kind of kick that ball off the tee and start the ball game. Yeah. So we've got to create this wedge with that particular prospect that we're, that we're talking to. You guys do it through workers' comp. Another great way to do it is through that 
those audit questions because nobody likes an audit. And then once we created that wedge, now we're kind of getting to the to the meat and potatoes of this thing because you're going back and you're creating a quote or multiple quotes, depending on how many lines of businesses business they have for that particular prospect. Now, once you do that, it's time to, you know, fourth, now we're at fourth quarter balls on the five yard line. We're either going to win or we're going to lose. Right. Mm -hmm. How does that look from Florida risk partners? Are you guys, is that time we're going to meet kneecap to kneecap or because of COVID we're still kind of emailing stuff over and we're talking on the phone? How does that look? No, I, th- I think that if it's a big enough account, if it's middle market and something in our wheelhouse, you know, David and I are going to go out together and, and present that, you know, present the uh, the proposals and what it looks like and, and do it that way. I also think that um, one of the things that we, you know, had in place before COVID for some of the smaller some of the smaller market stuff was we were doing video quotes, video proposals. And that was great because we already had that in place. Everybody else had to adapt once COVID happened, but that allowed us to, I would get a you know, proposal, have it on the screen and be able to record myself a, a quick, I mean, whatever, five minute video going over the proposal and they can watch it whenever they want. So they don't have to make time for me during their middle of their business day. They can do it once they're sitting at home, you know, on the couch with a glass of wine, doing whatever and, and, and watch it then. And, and they can bind it right there. So that's been, I mean, th- those are the two main ways that we do it. I would say for some of the smaller stuff, I'll just give them a call. You know, the, uh, and I've been working on a lot of that stuff as, as of more recent lately, some of the smaller stuff that's been calling and we've just been like flooded with business. So it's, it's kind of interesting that, you know, a lot of we didn't really miss a beat. And I know David's talked about it a number of times on our podcast, but we didn't really miss a beat when COVID came through. Um, we, we still were doing business. So um, those and, have been the two ways. Yeah. And just so we're clear, guys, I want to li- I want to talk to the 250,000 insurance agents out there. So for David and Kyle, where maybe there's a lot of agents out there listening right now that are riding, say, auto service stations that are on a bop and maybe it's a five or ten, fifteen thousand dollar annual premium policy, the stuff that David and Kyle are working on down there. And again, this goes back to doing research to figure out what's in your wheelhouse. But these are policies that are hundreds of thousands, if not million dollar insurance policies. These are not the $800 painting contractor GL policy, correct? Yeah, I'm meeting with those people in person for sure. Right. Right. You know, David and I are going out. We want to, I mean, again, it goes back to what I was talking about earlier with being able to pick up on nonverbal cues and, and just, you know, there, there's something to be said for being able to get in front of somebody and create that rapport and relate with them as a person. And I think that, you know, what, what we'll see is, is that COVID has made that even more true. You know, like people just genuinely want to get back to normal, right? Like, I mean, it's, it's sucked for the past year and a half or however long it's sure. been, you know, it's, it's been, it's been weird for everybody. And I think people are looking for a little bit of normalcy to be restored. And and so, you know, that's, that's the way I prefer to do things. If, if the account merits it, if it's a big enough account, for sure. If it's something simple that I can record and shoot over to, you know, to the prospect, then, then that's great too. But that's okay. the preferred method. Yeah. Let, I want there's two things I want to talk about real quick. Okay. And then we'll wrap this thing up. Mm-hmm. Number one, the close. Yeah. We've identified, we've researched, We've gotten the appointment. We've had our initial talk. They've agreed to let you give them a quote. They are intrigued with your product knowledge and the fact that you're telling them that, hey, more than likely, 
I can either save you some money on what you're paying right now on your workers' comp or some of the other lines, and you may not be getting the dividend that you're supposed to be getting every year, Mr. Client. Mm-hmm. So we've we've gotten them a proposal or an insurance quote. Doesn't matter if we do it in person. It does matter depending on the size of the account. But mm-hmm. we've done that. It's time to close. As as my friend Randy Jones says, it's time to get the check. Sure. What is yours and David's best closing closeout? Is it just the assumptive close Jeez. where you? You know, hey, yeah. how, do you, how do you want to pay for this, or or, or, or how does that go? Just tell us. Yeah, make the check out to Florida Risk Partners. Yeah. I mean, like that's one of the things that I learned early on in my sales career is that you always have to go back to the close, and that's the one piece of advice that, like, that was the third piece rather that I gave to Marvin on the phone was once he overcame the objection, you always have to go back to the close. It's not good enough to overcome the objection and just sit there and wait for them to respond because they're not going to know what to do. You have to kind of lead them in that path. Right. So going back to that, I mean, yeah, that, and David is much more fluent at it, you know, than I am, but it's, it's totally situational. Um, a lot of times you don't even have to, a lot of times you can get them to come to the conclusion that we are doing business on their own. And that's, and that's the goal. So David finally got me the copy of uh, Never Split the Difference by Chris Voss. And I must say that that is, it's, it's one of the most fascinating books I've ever read. Mm. I've never been a huge like sales book guy or whatever, but it is, it's amazing. I, I haven't David, been able to put David it David loves the crap out of that book too. Dude, it's, have you read it? Um, I have read air quotes, the audio version. I've made it okay. about halfway through. I, I think I'm going to get the paper copy though, because oh, man. it seems like paper copy is a a lot. You're I, able to retain the things. People I talk to seem to get you, a little bit. Yeah. 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 It's, it's the kind of book that you really have to retain things like super well. It's mm-hmm. less entertainment and more like I am studying this thing. And for mm-hmm. books like that, for me, it's better off. I'm better off going, you know, totally. directly to the and written. There's, and there's book. tools in there. But one of the things is, is just getting them to kind of come to the conclusion on their own your desired result, right? So if, if your process of going through and talking with, you know, the, the prospect, creates doubt and creates that wedge and you present the solutions as to how you're going to fix them and and you're able to do a good job of articulating your value proposition, then they're going to come to that conclusion on their own that we need to do business. And they're going to ask you how we do this. And that's the goal, right? I want them to be like, okay, so what do we need to do to get this to get this going. I don't have to put the hard clothes on somebody. I don't, I don't have to put the screws to them. That's not a good or, or usually typically like a healthy sales process. It's stressful for people. Like I want them to come to that conclusion on their own and they should do that, you know, by the, the conversation that we've had over the course of, of, of the few meetings. Mm-hmm. So, so guys, listen to me. I have my doctoral degree on the book, never split the difference. Okay. I've read it probably five times. I read it again this weekend because we talked about it at the Young Agents of Tennessee Conference. I'm going to give you some of the highlights of that book that Kyle is talking about right now. Number one is mirroring people where you, uh, as they're talking, you say the last two or three words of the sentence that they just said. It gets people comfortable and they feel like you're really listening to them. So mm-hmm. they, with whatever they say, if they end the sentence with whatever they end the sentence with, then you would just mirror that those last two or three words to them. Mm-hmm. Here's the big one. And this is the one I think Kyle and David probably use a lot. It is called labeling. And now we're talking about emotion and feeling. So as you're going through a conversation with a prospect 
and they're talking about something that maybe maybe upsets them a little bit or is kind of a, a rough spot for them, you would say, well, Bradley, it sounds to me like blah, 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 blah. And you're basically putting words to their emotions, right? It's, it sounds to me like you've had a lot of issues with your audits in the past and you're not getting very much support. Yes. And you need somebody to help you with that. Right. So it's either it sounds like, it seems like, or I think there's one more. It, fe- it, feel, it, it feels, feels like, like something like that. It's yeah. kind of a right. way to be assertive without being overly exactly. aggressive right. about it. And and what it's doing is it's pulling out them and their feelings, and it makes them feel like mm-hmm. you're really listening and you understand. Empathy. You get it. Empathy. Yeah. That's right. Huge part of sales is empathy. So the last thing I will say regarding that is you know you're on the right track and you're probably about to close that business or at least get a shot at it. If you hear words like, that's right, Mm -hmm. exactly, you're exactly right, you understand me, you you get it. Those are all words that when you hear that, exactly, those are closing signs. Those are things. Now, here's the worst thing that you can hear whether it's in your marriage or in a prospect's <laughs> office, the absolute worst statement that you can possibly hear someone say, you'll hear your kids say it sometimes too when you're getting on their ass, is what is the what is the verbiage? It's, uh, it's you're right. You're right. And dude, so that's so funny, man. Because when you like, hear you're right, you are screwed. Totally. So I read that part in the book. And I was like, oh, no, because I'm thinking about all these times that I've had conversations with my wife and she's just like, you're right. You're right. And I'm like, that's right. I am right. Yes. But after reading the book, I'm like, damn it, bro. So, so go into that a little bit because I haven't gotten that far. Apparently. Because it's not it's not like I mean, and Scott, you, you've read it way more than I have. I'm in like chapter nine right now. So you can elaborate on this. But my understanding of it is they don't have full buy in at that point. They're telling you that you're right, but they're not fully on board with that notion. If they, they're just if trying they're to get saying, you to shut up. Basically. Exactly. Correct. Correct. You're exactly. the words. You're right. In any situation, psychologically is shut the hell up. I don't believe whatever it is you're telling me, but I would really like for you to just shut the hell up right now. Yes. That's your right. It's it's kind of like when somebody tells you in the course of whatever you're talking about that they might do something. Mm -hmm. The words Mm -hmm. I might is 99 times out of 100 means they're not going to do it. Well, I I, I might do that. Well, that's that you might as well say, I'm not. Or I'll try. I'll try. Right. I mean, you're setting yourself up for for you're assuming that you're going to fail. That's correct. And when you hear this come out of somebody's mouth, guys, you're right. Your initial the ego side of you is going to go exactly what Kyle said is you're going to say, you damn right. I'm right. (laughs) I am right. And what you ought to be thinking in your head is this person just wants me to shut the hell up because they don't believe what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So, so what do you do in that scenario? You got to ask more of the, 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 um, the, the open-ended questions and, and figure out what it is, what things are going to get this, this deal progressing back on the right track. And that's kind of where I'm at in the, in, in, in the book. So I, I mean, I'm thinking um, about all the time Scott told me I was right. Oh, I do it all the time. <laughs> I do it to everybody. People will be telling me all the things I need to do and you need to do this. Blah. I'm like, you're right. 
You're, you're right. I do need to do that, but I'm you're not right gonna. to me is just like, okay, kid, I'll tell you you're right if you'll just shut up. So that that's basically what that means. So we've got to the close. I want I got one more question for you, and then I'll let you go for the day. And then we're gonna come back. We may do a part two of this at some point in time, but I think we've given yeah. these agents a lot of ammunition. If the today. listeners want us to do a part two, let us know and we'll do a part two. How about we do that? Absolutely. Absolutely. That way we can Perfect. hurt Kyle's feelings when no one wants to do a <laughs> yeah. part two. No so, one is going to respond and I'm never going to get a call. I messaged in the uh, the podcasters group a picture of you, Kyle, and said currently podcasting with the most popular host of the Power Producers podcast. So <laughs> I decided to... <laughs> I don't know about that, man, but I so so it. here's the last question of the day. Okay. What is David Carruthers the best at? Mm, smoking wow. meats. Well, <laughs> Dude, I'm talking t- insurance yeah. right now. I mean, I think part of it is what we, you know, what we just talked about, where he is creating a wedge and getting I remember one of the first appointments. Or, or one of the first points that I remember he and I going on was where he was creating a wedge based around the workers' comp and some of the things that we've talked about. And the conversation kept progressing and progressing. And at the end, like I just said, the prospect came to the conclusion that they needed to do business with us based on solely the questions that he was asking and leading them down a path of self-realization. And, and so he's really good at that. He's good at asking the questions to get them thinking and get in creating that doubt. And he does it very indifferently. And like, you don't even know that he's doing it. I I would say that that's been one of my main takeaways on some of the appointments that I've been on with him, you know, over the course of my time here at Florida risk. One thing I've noticed about great commercial producers, here's just some, I guess, a grab bag of things I've noticed. Okay. They are very highly competent in the niche that they serve. If mm-hmm. they have a specific niche, they are very confident and very high IQ in that niche. They are also very high EQ. They read people very well. Their life experiences have led them up to they can they can basically look at somebody, talk to them for just a minute, figure them out, and just kind of understand who that person is. They are also very quick on their feet. Very quick on their feet. Somebody says something, buddy, they can come back and have a very measured, reasonable, rational response that fast. Mm -hmm. Uh, David is that guy. He agreed. Fast as you can say something on the other end, he's going to have a a response that's going to be very measured, but it's going to be very accurate. Those are all things that I see with great commercial agents. They're high IQ. They have a high level of critical thinking skills. They are high EQ. They understand people. They understand their products. They understand what questions to ask. And psychologically, they just kind of know instinctively almost how to massage that prospect to get them to that place that they need them to be. Did I just describe David Carruthers or did I describe? I mean, absolutely. Like 100%. Yeah, he's that. You also have to go into it, and David does this really well. You have to go into it being willing to lose the deal. If you go, if you go into it worried about digging your heels in or sticking to your guns, are going to make you lose this deal. 
you're not going to stick to your guns or dig your heels in. You know what I mean? You have to go into it being like, Hey, if they don't do these things, we're not going to, we're not going to pursue this relationship. It's kind of like, I know you guys get uh, tired of me equating things to golf, but the best putter in the game of golf is a guy named Brad Faxon and his entire strategy is act like it doesn't matter. He gets up there and acts like he doesn't give a crap whether he makes this putt or not. And it takes all of the emotion out of it, which takes the nerves out of it, which takes the stiff joints out of it, and everything flows so much better. I kind of look at it as the same way. Yeah. By, by the way, Bradley, did you know Kyle's a scratch golfer? I did not know that. No, I am not. Don't that's you not dare what, put that's that That's not on what me. I was no. told. Well, D- David doesn't really – I mean, he thinks – so he's so bad that he thinks anybody that huh. can shoot in like the mid to high uh, 70s uh, is scratch. So I'm, my index is 5.3. I 5. have a question. 3. Yeah, I have a question. Do you have mm-hmm. a blue and gold Florida Risk Partners staff golf bag? <laughs> no, but I know somebody who does. I do too. <laughs> I do not have one of those because if you're the guy that shows up to a golf course with that type of bag and you're not the pro or a pro, you gotta you're, be, you're you gotta just you're ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta be uh, you gotta be pretty good to have the staff bag with your name on it. That's right. Kyle, I think we got the the hay down where the goats could get to it, don't you? I do, man. I think that that was good. I think there was a lot of things that we talked about in there that hopefully are useful to uh, some of the listeners out there. And and uh, I had a great time, man. It was enjoyable. Well, I, I just have a question, question, question. Are our podcast listeners the goats? They are. Right, right, right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Because they're the, the greatest down. of all gotta, time. Yeah, got to get the hay down where the goats can get to it. So, Kyle, we will leave it up to them. We will leave it up to the masses, to the hundreds of thousands of agents listening to this. If you want to part two with Kyle, because here's what's going to happen, Kyle. I'm going to get off this podcast and think of 15 questions I should have asked you while we were on this podcast today. So I will have plenty of things that I can talk about on a part two that we didn't even get to. And I really didn't get as into the psychology of the prospect and those types of things as I kind of wanted to, but guys, Mm -hmm. as I, as I always say, rewards come from action, not discussion, get your ass out from behind that desk today and go out into the big, bad world and do exactly what Kyle Houck told you to do. Build relationships, build relationships, build rapport with people, make those calls that you need to make, to set the appointments, to go see the right people, to sell insurance, make money for your family, for your wife, your husband, your kid's college fund, and your parents that are struggling out there today. Write good business for the companies that you represent and write good business for the agencies that you represent. Bradley Flowers, I love you. Thanks, man. Thanks, Kyle. Guys, you are listening to the Insurance Guys podcast, and we will see you back here next week. Thank you so much for being a part of our family. I hope this episode will help you go make more money and live the life that you deserve to live. Take care, and we'll see you back real soon. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at Scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening to our show. 
and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care.